Hi, welcome to this Property Life podcast. I'm James D'Souza. I'm a property investor and trainer. Each week on this podcast, we'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures in property. This week, I'm talking to Bruce Marshall and Stephen Riley of Riley Marshall Investments. Bruce and Stephen are both South African and moved to the UK 15 years ago. After getting jobs as letting agents, they saw the potential to grow their own business and turned a five-figure profit in their very first month. Against the odds, they built and grew that business into a thriving operation that has since merged with one of the largest estate agents in the UK. They are also property investors themselves, with a portfolio in South Wales, the northeast of England and London. This week, the boys discuss setting up their lettings business and how they've grown that from its infancy. I really hope you enjoy it. Let's hear now from Bruce Marshall and Stephen Riley. I'm honoured to have uh, Bruce and Stephen here with us today. Uh, Bruce and Stephen, I've known you guys for what, about six years, is it now? I think we've... Yeah. About six years. Um, we're kind of in the same uh, investing network and and Stephen and Bruce are London-based doing some amazing stuff and I just thought it'd be great to have a bit of a catch-up, have a chat with them and, and find out obviously what they're up to, what they've done in the past as well and, and what's in the future. So... Um, Bruce and Stephen, if you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, to begin with, uh, what kind of got you into property in the first uh, first place? Yeah, cheers, James. Thanks for having us on. Um, I'll, I'll start that one, Bruce. Um, I mean, I'm sure you can hear by the accents. It's a giveaway. We're, we're from South Africa. Um, moved over, funny enough, in the same year, back in 2005. We were supposed to come over, I think, for, for six months, but uh, here we are, still, still kicking. Um, I think uh, originally we both actually worked as security guards. Uh, I was in a, a Sainsbury's um, <laughs> in uh, Earl's Court, which was which was quite a quite a story. But um, yeah, so shortly after that, probably the, did that for about a year, and then uh, got involved in property. Um, so yeah, so that was probably around 2006, I think. Um, and we've been in property since. Um, I'm now married uh, to a South African woman. And um, I've got two beautiful girls and I live in Kent. Perfect. Bruce? Yeah, it's it's a, a very similar journey. As Steve mentioned, we both came over in, in 2005 with not really too many big plans. And we landed up or ended up working in security. And um, from there, uh, you know, one day Steve came and we were living in, in Surrey Key, sharing a room. So really <laughs> the, the course that most South Africans take. And um he brought him a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he said, read this, you know, this is, it's, it's going to open your mind. Um, and from that, Steve then went on, I think it was, it was Russ Whitney at the time, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, Russ Whitney, of course. Yeah, you went on a three-day basic and, you know, that that got your 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 appetite for property going then and, and you started exploring other avenues in South Africa, investing and whatnot. But ultimately, it really kicked off when we started working in lettings. Steve was working for a lettings agency in, in Southeast London. Um, I was working in bars at the time. And, um, you know, it, it looked like the right path. It, it looked exciting. Uh, and we both then started working as letting agents. Um, shortly after that, we then um, decided that the company we we're working for, you know, they weren't really doing a great job and we could do better. And, and that then forced us essentially because we, we got fired both on the same day. So there we were with our <laughs> hats in our hands, you know, back to the wall. And we, we really just took it upon ourselves to, to start doing deals essentially um, from a letting side. Um, 
and after doing that for a few years, we saw, wow, you know, there's so much more to this property game. Um, and that was when we then, I actually came across an article in, in I think it was the Metro at the time. And it was uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Tiger and Three Day Basic. It was just an intro actually somewhere on the South Bank. And we went together, signed up for the Three Day Basic, uh, did the Three Day Basic and immediately on the Three Day Basic signed up to do the advanced training, the mentorship. Um, and that that right there, I think, was when things really took a turn for the best, um, did the training and then obviously started investing in property. Yeah, we are. So you'd already kind of knew, knew, sort of started to look at property, kind of knew that was the way forward for you guys before you actually started investing yourself. So what, um, what exactly, obviously you said lettings, what were you doing? What was the kind of the day, a, a day-to-day, uh, day-to-day life for you guys when you were in, in the letting agency? Um, I'll answer that. That's not a problem. Um, we, we are still in the letting agency, so that, that's still part of our, our day-to-day. But, but back then it was, you know, the letting agency, I would say, took up 100% of our time. And then the property was sort of out of hours or whenever we could find time to do the investment side of it. Whereas now the, the priority has shifted the other way, whereas the investment is really where the major focus lies. That's where the value lies, especially in, in the current times. You know, if we hadn't taken that step and put that major focus in building a, a really stable portfolio consisting of, you know, baby bar to lets and, and a very various HMOs, traditional bar to lets. Um, in this current time, I think it would have been incredibly stressful for us um, not having that, that passive income that, that's created on a, on a monthly basis through our property portfolio. So I know that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but um, day-to-day back then was really, you know, all hands on deck, full steam ahead, trying to grow and build the letting agency, which we did. And it was fun and we had passion for it. But ultimately, it, it came to the point, for me at least, where you saw a lot of landlords selling their properties or receiving, you know, really, really good rental incomes. And we were sort of the lowest rung on the ladder. Um, we were there just facilitating that. And we saw the real wealth was being made our clients and that's where the shift came in for me to, to say well actually hang on you know we're, we're we're exposed to this world and this industry but we're not really taking advantage of all these opportunities that exist to us we, we learn so much through the everything that's involved with i would say probably the hardest part of the process which is the letting side of it the management of tenants maintaining the property you know finding the deals getting the finance doing that that's fun that's easy because there's so much excitement and energy to it. Whereas once you've got that done, you've then got to fill and then you've got to deal with, then it's the hard graft essentially to maintain that asset, to ensure that it, it continues producing that passive income infinitely for the rest of your life and your children and your grandkids' lives, ideally. Um, so having that, that experience of, of doing that day to day and dealing with every single kind of problem that you can imagine from a tenant side um, and property management side and knowing all the intricacies inside out, it gave me a great deal of confidence to say, okay, we know the hard stuff. We know how to do it. Uh, let's now start actually building wealth through property versus managing other people's wealth and doing the, the grunt work, if you want to call it that. Not to sell ourselves short, but, you know. It, you it you were kind of work. hands-on with tenants going around, sorting their problems, filling rooms. That was kind of just, I mean, it must have been manic. Yeah, in the beginning, it was just the two of us, you know, as I said, you know, we, we got we got fired, we were working out of Steve's living room, it was it was really back against the wall. At the time, we didn't even have a car. It was real fun, I remember. 
Yeah, well, at the time it wasn't. <laughs> I, I, I remember I remember our first month, I think we did 10 grand and we were like, oh, Over the holy moon. crap, this is amazing. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't even have a car. Steve's girlfriend at the time had this old bang. I don't even think the thing was MOT'd. Yeah, <laughs> we, were, we couldn't bring pe- pick people up in it. We're parking around corners, picking properties up from Gumtree. You know, I think yeah. that really did mold That's us. some mentality. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that I, I'm, I'm grateful for that because it really taught us, you know, when you, when you put your mind down and, and you're forced to do things, you can achieve anything. I know that sounds a bit cliche, but, you know, have, through having done it, it, it just gives me a great deal of confidence that no matter what challenges life throws and the current situation and circumstances the world's in, we know we can overcome them based on what we've already achieved and done in our lives through those experiences. I think you two, uh, whenever we've kind of been having chats in the past, one of the things that always jumps out about me, uh, about you both to me is your kind of just the entrepreneurial spirit, the the never, n- never say die attitude. And you just, if, if you come, if you encounter a challenge, a, a problem, you're like, right, let's just, let's just deal with it and, and keep going. And you just, you're not afraid to, to work hard. And do you, do you credit that attitude to the growth of the business? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that, and thanks for saying that. I mean, I think I think there's two parts to it. We've we've had a, a ready fire aim mentality, which is yeah. has been good for us, but it's also hindered us in in some ways. You know, looking back at how we've gone into property or some property deals, or how you know the business grew and it shrunk a little bit, and then it grew. I think our planning element was probably a little bit off. Um, but you know, you live and you learn, and, and part of this journey has been paying some of those school fees along the way. But you know, there's no regrets, which is good. You know, it's 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 we're 12 years on, um, and if you look back at what we've created, it's it's, it's pretty good <laughs> to, to most people's standards. So um, it's it's you know, I, the way I look at the last 12 years, it's almost like an apprenticeship um, through yeah. through business, allowing us now to. You know, take take a few steps up up the levels and, and through the gears to create a, you know a, a, a more creative experience and journey going through um, the next few decades. And I think Lettings is always kind of the slightly un unglamorous brother of uh, or, or sister of sales. What <laughs> exactly. what kind of obviously you were working in a letting agent? Did you just set up a and it was independent Lettings? It wasn't. It, you didn't um, kind of franchise out and you, and you just specialized in lettings to start with so what was the what was the thinking behind doing that was that just because it was what you what you'd known that's that's exactly it it was you know as, as steve mentioned we we were very much ready fire aim um which did serve us well but it was detri- detrimental in some situations and the letting agency was just a, a prime example of that we were working in lettings we thought this is you know steve's always been very ambitious had dreams of setting up a, a business and you know we, we then went full steam into this but again the infrastructure wasn't really there and we knew we could do the front end which i think at the time was the most important we could drive revenue we could generate sales and, and by sales i mean obviously successful lets um and and we just really went full steam ahead on the front end and as we grew we realized okay we're lacking some some systems and that was when i became very process driven and we put the right infrastructure in place and, and that really helped, but it was what we knew. We only knew lettings. So we just stuck with that. And, and obviously we were working very much in the business in the beginning rather than on it. So it didn't allow us to lift our heads up and have that bird's eye view of, of the big picture or the, the, the five-year plan or the 10-year plan of where we wanted to be. So I think we just 
kept our, our, our focus very, very narrow in drive revenue, drive revenue, drive revenue. And it, it wasn't until we started working with Mark Dalton that, you know, he, he started getting us to think bigger and look outside, looking down from above to see how we could work on the business and improve it. Um, and that was when we did implement sales. And uh, initially we did have a really good success with property sales. Um, and that was, uh, that was, you know, attributed to that, taking that new viewpoint rather than just sticking with what we knew. From from working for a a letting agent to again setting up your own letting agent, did you see anything that they weren't doing particularly well, or, or see anything that you thought actually we can improve on this massively? And and even if you hadn't then got fired, um, you would have sort of still set up and 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 fixed those problems that you could see from working in the business. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll just jump in there. I mean, the reason we got fired was because we were setting up our own, <laughs> our own agency uh, on, on behind the scenes. But um, so we were already in that process. I mean, I, I was in that company for about two years and they didn't care about their clients. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really care about their staff. They sort of just, you know, went day on, day out. And, and that was it. And, and I said to Bruce, come on, let's, let's, we can do a better job. We're hungry. We can go make money. Um, we can set it up ourselves and, and, and make a success of it. So we did it and, you know, the story is funny, you know, being fired and what have you. But um, it, I guess it just taught us a lot about, you know, when you're thrown in a situation with like question marks all over the place, not knowing if you're going to be able to pay rent, um, it just shows what an individual can, can do in that situation. And instead of survive, we thrived, which was great. You know, we didn't know we would, but, it kind of turned out that way. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Hopefully that answers just, it. Just, just for the listeners, what kind of years were you, what did that happen in? When, uh, when did you actually? That actually makes it even better. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't have been worse timing. It yeah, would be timing equivalent was, of someone was, opening a letting agency now. It was actually two months before the global economic crisis of 2008 and housing crisis. So we had just started out and then all of a sudden, uh, every single sale property that was on the market was unsellable and became a rental property. Uh, all the sales departments were shut down and the market was just completely flooded with an oversupply of rental properties and the demand diminished. So it was a, it was a, a very tough situation. But again, and you were you working know, on the outskirts of the city as well. Yeah, we were, we were in southeast London. We were based in, in Surrey Keys, Canada Water, so SE16. And yeah. uh, a lot, a lot of the clients that we were dealing with uh, historically, when we worked for for other agencies and when we'd set up, were city workers, people in Canary Wharf, and immediately people stopped coming, people lost jobs, and that market dried up quite significantly. So it, it became very, very challenging to to rent a property that would normally almost rent itself. There was rather than having one property in a high sense of urgency for someone looking. There was maybe 10 or 20 of those and rents were just falling through the floor in terms of those values. So it was. <laughs> so you're probably doing a lot of legwork, doing loads of viewings and not seeing the revenue that you would have wanted, but still making on, on you know, on your first month, 10 grand. Yeah, well, the, the, the good thing was it was down to us. We couldn't blame anyone. And I'd always been very passionate for sales. I really enjoy it. And ultimately it, it is, you know, your, your returns are, are proportionate to the efforts that you deploy. Mm. So it was always a situation that I knew I can get up earlier, stay up later, I can make more calls at work, out hustle the competition. And that was one of the things that 
I didn't like at the company we worked at. It was, you know, I'd worked for big company in Canary Wharf. I'd seen the, the owners driving Ferraris and Lambos and, you know, living the high life. Um, and then the company we worked at, the commission structure was great. So we were earning phenomenal money for, you know, 22, 23 year olds. Uh, it was almost surreal how much money we were making because we were, we were driven by the financial return. We were salespeople ultimately, and we saw a huge opportunity to, to generate a good income for ourselves. Whereas, when we work, when we were on our own, it was the same mentality. We knew it's down to us. We can we can do the calls. We can connect with more people, put ourselves out there, collect the nose, you know, and, and just sales one hundred and one really. And that's that, that's all that drove us, you know. If, if if I think maybe we were mediocre salespeople and we were in that situation, I don't think we would be where we are today. But fortunately, we were both driven financially, and we knew it was down to our efforts, and, and that's what what was the result of success. How long was it before you you got, kind of brought the first employee in? How long was it before you kind of said, right, we've we've got too much work on our hands. We need to actually start outsourcing and, and build a team. It was about twelve months, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, about that. Yeah. And then we brought on a lettings negotiator. We we built slowly, which was good. Um, we didn't rush things. Um, <laughs> we did get to a point we, where we, we were. We, we first had to move out of my living room. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> had to do that. Then we moved into a, you know, what was it, a service sort of a shared office, office. Um, which actually was successful, you know, funnily enough, for what, two, three, three years or so. Um, and then only from that point did we move on to the high streets. Um, so, yeah, there was a transition of, you know, building a team as well as moving premises so we could get more of a, um, a public facing sort of operation. And when you were employing staff, were you looking for somebody already with a background in property or were you looking for kind of clean slate, you know, fresh, completely new to it that you could kind of mold and shape as you wanted? We were looking for entirely inexperienced. The The financial crisis was a bit of a blessing for us in that our, our criteria was that we wanted no property experience, no sales experience. We were looking for graduates degree if you didn't have a degree don't apply um, and then what we did is again we applied a sales mentality and we just did a lot of interviews and our interviews were also situational based so we were really profiling and looking for individuals that demonstrated the right skills or benefited from certain characteristics that we knew once we had those in place we could then mold and build almost super sales people uh, and and we did do that for two years we had uh three staff members that we had recruited using that strategy that performed phenomenally well for us. They did exactly as we had planned. Um, then things started changing and they were able to get jobs in the, in the fields and careers that they had studied for to put those degrees to use. So um, we were very fortunate in that, in that situation that we had access to high caliber individuals that wouldn't have normally considered estate agency or lettings so we, we saw that opportunity seized and, and, and that was also pivotal to our success, making that decision and implementing that. And I kind of guess with with the with finding those kind of people, yes, they're financially motivated because in that sales world, the more the more sales you get through, the more the more you know tenants that you home, I guess the, the bigger your pay packet at the end of the month. But also when you're working with that kind of person, I guess their mentality is is a bit of self-drive as well. They want the best of themselves and they're actually quite kind of just not ego motivated, but just uh, kind of professionally driven, I guess, and, and want the best out of every situation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, so 
a few years later, you then sort of went, right, let's uh, let's branch out again and we're going to maintain sales, uh, maintain lettings, but we're also going to add sales to the to the business. Yeah, was, was that right. was that when you had the high street shop? Was that uh, we actually started when we were still in uh, a business center? Mm. So we went from Steve's living room to a shared office in a business center. We were just renting two desks. We were there for about two or three months, and then we became quite close with the building manager. And again, the the, the downturn actually worked favorably for us because the business center had actually been bought by developers, and they were clearing it out to demolish it and obviously the crisis struck everything was put on hold so that they needed to start filling the business center again and that they started trying to refill it when we were renting a desk space from a, a russian chap um who would shout at the top of his voice on every phone call and we could barely hear the people on that we could barely hear ourselves think half the time with our lady would speak but through that we then connected with the the building manager and they were trying to fill some of these offices so we picked up a really good nice office for a fraction of what it would have normally cost. We actually then ended up, ended up taking another office within the same block. So we had two really good offices. They would, they just weren't in the public space. Mm-hmm. However, we then focused the, the resource, the financial resource that would have been spent on a high street office, just on a better online presence and, and you know, utilizing it to the, the digital high street, which is, which is Google essentially. And um, it was from there that we started sales. Um, that was where it was, it was launched. Um, and then shortly after that, we moved onto High Street in Greenwich on Trafalgar Road, so a nice prominent shop front with good brand exposure and, and brand recognition. I remember you were both very excited when you kind of went into the sales and, and you were kind of, you know, your aim was, you, you massively smashed your targets, didn't you? I remember you were kind of very conservative and just wanted sort of you know, one or two sales a month. And didn't you didn't you kind of have them flying out the shelves? Yeah, we got, we got very lucky on the... If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. first year it was almost something that it's been an unparalleled level of success sadly um (laughs) (laughs) Um, you say luck i think we just we hammered at home yeah no no you're right obviously the harder you work the luckier you get it didn't just happen by accident um made the right decision at the right time and it's the timing the timing worked and, and the efforts were consistent with the results ultimately so then you were a kind of independent sales and lettings agency um, was, and I guess the benefit of being in that sales and letting agency is in an economic up, up market, then the sales is going to be booming. If, if anything starts to drop a bit, you that the lettings picks up. So you're, it's a very well protected business model. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, as you say, you can always rely on the lettings in the downturn and then, you know, make hay when the sun shines and, and really get that cream on the top of the sales when, when there's an upturn. 
So when you kind of moved into that high street space, what was your, what, again, from, from running around doing absolutely everything when you first started, what did your day-to-day then become within that business? Were you still kind of running around doing viewings yourselves or was it more overseeing the staff and, and more people management? Yeah, well, that stage, a few years up to that point, we had been overseeing, we had a manager in place at that time. Steve was focused more on the, the marketing, um, the front end side of things. I was dealing with the compliance, the back end, um, making sure everything stayed on track. Um, so we had uh, our roles clearly defined and a manager in place. Uh, I think at that point, we were probably over overstaffed. Um, yeah, we what did from, we have? I think we were up to about 10. At yeah, some there was about 10, 10 staff members, whereas we, we could have been running as effectively with maybe half of that um you know we, we went from being very slow to that i mean we had you know i can't remember our best year was it 2016 or 17 where you know we we broke records probably far, far exceeded our expectation absolutely um, with our sales team i think our admin team could have probably been a little bit leaner but um yeah 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 that, that's what i was meaning we had a bit too many support staff um but again, you know, as Steve said, the front end was firing on, on all cylinders, so the revenue was there to support it. Um, but yeah, we, we, had, we had quite a big team at that stage. There was a lot of man management, and then obviously along with that comes the, the, the joys of HR, <laughs> which, which I was dealing with. And um, yeah, so it, it was a lot of uh, more management side than, as you say, any of the day-to-day with viewings, client-facing. So the, the less rewarding stimulating enjoyable side of of business i guess was where we were in in that phase of our our growth and and we always kind of joke about how estate agents don't like professional investors because they come in with cheeky offers what is your uh, do you do you get much of that being in working out of greenwich do you kind of see many cheeky offers or are you mainly dealing with owner occupiers there's not too much to be honest It's, it's owner occupiers serious investors so there is there is very little of the the investors that fit our cat our mold mm. that are coming in and, and coming in with ridiculous offers insulting everyone. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, yeah. it's it's even difficult for us to get cheeky offers accepted in London. You know, it's, ah, yes, it's it's, it's 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 a tough game. Yeah, there's always someone else prepared to pay a lot more than you. You know, so you sometimes either have to bite the bullets or um, just know that what you're getting involved with, you can add enough value to make it worth it. Yeah. That's- I think we're probably going to, I'm going to ask you guys to come back so we can do a whole other episode just on your investing and, and what you've done in terms of building your portfolio. But um, you, you do you kind of buy some of the properties that go come through the estate agency? Do you buy, do you kind of cher- get to cherry pick anything and have you have you done so? I wish um, we could, sorry, I'll let you we, answer that, we, Steve. We've had a couple that we've had offers on in the past. I know we've had a couple of uh, flats with, you know, short leases and that type of thing, which... We were looking at pursuing, but it, they never really materialized. And I'm not sure we were uh, that convinced in our own, uh, you know, with our own strategy to buy flats. You know, mm. we, we've always bought houses. So, um, yeah, not, not a lot's come through the agency, but obviously having the ability to work from an office and go do viewings um, within a five-mile radius, we built, you know, bought portfolio on the back of that. Um so yeah, you know they have been with obviously obviously other agents, but you know it's 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 more about the property deal itself, not not too concerned about where it's coming from. And do you obviously kind of up up north where where we both cut our teeth? 
teeths on property um you're kind of we know the estate agents have kind of got their favorite investors do you have that yourselves if you, when you when you kind of view a property straight away when you've been instructed do you just think this will work perfectly for so and so in the and one of your clients and just kind of get them straight in to view it yeah i mean we've we've got quite a quite a few big pro- prolific investors that i've spoken to you know numerous times to say look i've got this uh, off-market deal um, do you want to come have a look at it mm. um, and some have gone through some haven't but um, yeah there's, there's there's certainly those ones that you know have uh, a big a big balance in their bank account that you want to just try quickly shift if you can um, so yeah that's that's the ideal scenario but it doesn't always work out and then if it goes to the open markets um, you know you try to get it sold that way. And you kind of you went from Riley Marshall, which was obviously you know your surnames, your your own business, and you've become hunters. What was the thought process behind that? What was that? What kind of made the decision to effectively franchise? Yeah, got, Chris, you got no worries. Um, it, it got to the point where there was ever changing legislation within lettings, um, and as a small independent, it became quite challenging to. We would always keep abreast with everything and make sure that we were doing everything with full compliance and, and everything was uh, up to date with all legislation, all the I's were dotted, all the T's were crossed, but that in, in and of itself prevented that focus from being where it should be on the front end on, on revenue and client care. Those are ultimately the main things we, we would always look to achieve, you know, excellent customer service and making sure that our revenue targets are hit, but trying to then keep up to date and make sure that you're fully compliant it's such a it became such a large drain of of time there combined with in our area we we were competing with all the the big nationals all the corporates and a lot of the time especially for sales that was one of the main reasons we decided to join forces and, and merge with hunters was we would go out on valuations and we would be put up against um, all the big players in london the, the national corporates and we would outperform them in terms of trying to win the business and the feedback we would consistently receive from clients was that we really loved you guys. You guys were great. We really wanted to go with you, but unfortunately, you know, these guys are a national. That's, that's our decision. Um, they're a corporate. We know them. They've got a bigger database. Really reasons that had no value in terms of the function that we were there to perform was, i.e., to sell your property. We're going to sell it today at this price. This is how we can serve you. This is our proposition. Um, and this is everything we can do for you serving you as a client, which truthfully, I believe we were superior to our competitors and, and still do. However, due to being a, a smaller fish in a, in a medium-sized pond, uh, we were just losing business on the back of that. And that feedback was consistent. Um, so we joined Hunters to, to really drive and boost sales because it was a, a huge portion of opportunity within our market that we were, we were losing out on for a, a very silly reason, if you ask me. And, um, you know, once we joined Hunters, that was proven to be the right decision in terms of winning the business. Um, that no longer and became they also, a challenge. They also have a, a training academy. So you can hire staff and run um, run them through the course and get trained up by our head office, if you like. So there's saving time element there. Huge. Um, so so it's, a, it's a win-win, basically. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. You know, t- to Steve's point there, there was a huge leverage there. We had always been massive on investing in our staff, wanting to put everyone on all, get everyone qualified and really invest in the individual. 
because ultimately it serves us, it serves our clients. And then, you know, when they do leave one day, they can walk away and, and we've enriched their life in some way. We've, you know, we've improved their, their education, their qualifications, and they can walk away and, and, you know, take on the next steps in their lives. But through Hunters, that was a, a prerequisite. It was one of the, the main things that aligned well with us was their training academy, looking to be the first um, estate agent in the UK to be fully accredited with over 200 offices. That, that's the goal and well on our way to do that. Um, and like Steve said, to have head office take all that training element away from us, which is a huge part of it and, and a huge cost, obviously, to do it privately. So to just have that as, as part of your business and, and a mandatory part of your processes for recruitment, that, that really appealed to us. So you could just focus on building, growing, selling, letting. Exactly. And making sure everyone was fully up to date with all mm. the legislation and they could serve clients properly. You know, there's a lot of agents out there that don't know a lot of the legislation themselves. How are they supposed to advise their clients appropriately? Um, and it's ever-changing especially now there's so much changing almost on a daily basis uh, with new legislation being introduced which is incredibly costly to landlords if they don't receive the correct advice it can cost them a huge mm. amount of money how um easy would it be for kind of a, a somebody in the high street not not in terms of being successful but just to set up an estate agent or a letting agent how physically easy is it for somebody to just do that is it you know how, how much regulation is there in place and how much red tape is there to actually cross it used to be very straightforward. Now there, there is a lot there. So I think it's good because it is definitely, and we see it on the high streets, it is definitely weeding out the, the cowboys, if you will. Mm. Um, so it's becoming a, a much more professional environment, which is fantastic. Um, but to answer your question, it's, it's a lot more difficult now than it would have been, say, two or three years ago. Um, there are people out there that are still operating uh, outside of, of the law, if you will and not following the legislation. We hear it from clients, we hear it from tenants, and we think, wow, that's, that's literally illegal. There could be some serious financial implications they could incur. So there might still be operators out there, but um, it definitely is weeding out the, the bad operators in the marketplace. So ultimately, it's, it's really good for landlords, really good for tenants. Mm. And over the long run, it's, it's, it's definitely going to benefit the industry in a big way. And I guess being in London as well, you're because there is so you know so many people equal so many so much opportunity. So there's probably going to be more cowboys that that try and do something in and around your area. So you probably see it more so than if you were a regional estate exactly. agent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is it obviously you know one of the one of the hot topics during lockdown is is selling Sunset. Everyone everyone's watched it. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> is is selling property as glamorous as they make it out to be on the TV? Oh, sure, it can be. Um, <laughs> uh, depending depending in the, the the bracket that you fall within, obviously, you know our average prices around around Greenwich are nowhere close to the ones um, in Selling Sunset. So I'm sure if you you know Knightsbridge, Kensington, it, it can be as glamorous as yeah. that. But yeah, to be I honest, think it has to be essential, aren't you, to, yeah. to pick up those fees? But but it is still fun, to be honest. I wouldn't detract from that. Um, as you say, Leddings is definitely the the less glamorous and ugly, ugly sister, if you want to call, I can't remember how you phrased <laughs> yeah. it. But sales is sales is fun. You know, the, since the announcement of this, the, the stamp duty holiday, it has definitely encouraged a lot more purchases with that, within that bracket up to the 500K. And um, yeah, it's nice. You're helping people with a home. You know, you're seeing your sellers with their onward purchase, you know, scaling up with their families, et cetera. So it is nice to be part of that process, which can be 
very, very stressful uh, and painful, if not dealt with with the correct uh, professional agent. And we always take pride in, in delivering a, a consistently enjoyable customer experience um, and, and really deliver top-notch service. So when you do that, it's, it's, it's nice to see the, the impact it has on the buyer and the seller. So there's, there's a lot of reward there and it can be very lucrative at the same time. What, what do you kind of sell the most of? What's the, what type of properties that you, you know, that you guys are selling sell the best in, in Southeast London and what kind of price point do they, do they come in at? Within our, within our local market, it's, it's definitely ones and two beds. Um, purely also, uh, I'd say it's a mixed bag. First time buyers, uh, i.e. owner occupiers and then investors. Um, one beds tend to rent very well. Mm. Um, they, 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 there's always a demand for them. Um, and then your one beds, you're looking anywhere from 300 to 400,000 uh, and two beds, 350 up to say even 700 is a, is a general range. I know it's quite broad, but you know, there's, there's obviously there's that a lot of people just think London is ridiculously expensive, but it, it goes yeah. to show that there is quite a, quite a nice range of, of stuff. If anyone wants to kind of dip their toe in the market. Exactly. Were you, were you going to add something there, Stephen? No, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, um, I was just, I was just going to add, you know, you could have a two bed, um, on a, on a riverside development that maybe just facing the back or towards the, you know, the side or something as a partial river view. And that's going for 550 K for a two bed. You have one front facing with the extra 20 square feet and that's going for 700. You know, the, the, the price range can be so vastly different. You know, that's why I was just, I was going to add with Bruce saying the, the range here, 350 to 700. That's, that's literally how it is. Um, it's crazy to think that literally one one other side of a block can be so much higher valued. It, it can be that extreme. It can be that extreme. It can be, yeah. And does it does that then have an effect on the if if an investor's buying that would that have an effect on the rental value as well? A, a comparative effect? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's, yeah, that's yeah, the I challenge mean, to explain to someone who's paid over the odds for a property. They think the rent's going to be proportionate to the high value that they've paid. Yeah. Because the developers I told mean, them it's on a higher floor and it comes with a parking space. So yeah. therefore, they think they might get another two or 300 pounds a week more for the property because they've obviously paid a significant amount more than the one on the side, like Steve mentioned. Mm. Whereas yeah, the rents, they, they're not going to be proportionate to those increases in, in, in value. So it just goes to show how how key oh how important it is to know your market and to actually have done your research then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if, you, if you're coming from a property investor mindset, and of course we have property investors that buy these 700k two bed flats, um, it's it's not a great yield. It's not a great return on your money. It's it's I guess you're buying off plan is is probably where you're not a genuine property investor. You're an accidental or you're just parking money in a property um so I'm, I'm just adding that to the element where obviously we serve clients that call themselves property investors but in the true sense from where our standpoint it's not really property investing um from, they'd, from they'd be better off being an angel investor into your property business themselves probably <laughs> probably that exactly they get a better return they, yeah exactly i mean they they're lucky it's two or three percent um you know, they can get eight percent with us <laughs> yeah, well, well, to to Steve's point, we've seen it quite a lot recently, where "quote unquote" investors have purchased these properties, um, new build off big, prominent London developers, uh, and paid significant sums of money for one and two bedroom properties um, about two three years ago. And we've got three that are currently trying to sell. And in order to actually shift them, even in the market which is 
pretty buoyant at the moment, they're having to take losses on those. Mm. So in three years, they've actually lost value. So if you look at it from any type of investor, that's a, a terrible investment. You're investing to get a return, not a loss. So um, to Steve's point, there's, there's a lot of that um, mm. and, and their money could actually perform far better in angeling uh, or actually investing in the correct sense as, yeah. as we've been taught to do. Because, you you know, and, and from from what you guys have been taught, you know, cash flow is obviously the number one stuff. So when you're when you're doing your numbers and an investor comes along to buy something and you've kind of already run the numbers on it and you're thinking this isn't going to cash flow. Is there any is there any part of you that's kind of wants to tell that investor that have you have you run your numbers? This is actually going to make financial sense for you. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a catch 22 because. You know, they, they're just looking for yields and we no. do have to pay I think both the short sides. answer is no. no. You know, we, we just want to do the business. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> well, it's, it's, not, it's not your job to be someone's, you know, uh, kind of financial advisor, advisors. is it? Yeah. 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 Um, thing, obviously, you know, you, you spoke about how the market's changed quite a lot over the years. How did the, uh, the letting agents kind of um, tenancy fee ban impact business for you because that was kind of a big change that happened a couple of years ago um did that have a, a dramatic effect to the lettings business and, and what's been the knock-on over the last couple of years oh uh, yeah that was huge it was a, a significant impact um to the lettings industry it's on average you know i speak for ourselves and from what i can see it's it's 20 percent that that was our loss 20 percent of, of revenue just completely wiped off the board still doing the same amount of, of deals same output deployment of resources but yet you're you're now achieving 20 percent less which is a big chunk of profits um a, a lot of that's where i guess working with a, a big company or a big brand and a network such as hunters uh, there is benefit because all our suppliers came up with creative propositions and offerings where their new products pass the referencing costs onto landlords by actually providing value in terms of additional services. And then we would get kickbacks from those. So there would be commission from that upsell or cross sell. So it, it, it just meant we had to get incredibly creative to try recover some of that, but truthfully it's still nowhere close. It's a drop in the ocean versus, you know, that, that 20% that's now just vanished from your, from your revenue. Has it had any, impact on because i'm guessing part of that charge is going to be fed back to the actual investor the the the, the landlord themselves um have you seen that that give to uh, you know create a rise in rents or has that not really initially that was the the knock-on effect because that's precisely what happened and all investors foresaw that coming was yes of course you can't charge the tenants people still need to be referenced someone's mm. going to have to pay for it ultimately the landlord is going to incur that cost and to recoup those costs they're going to then increase the rent so it's still going to hurt the tenants at the end of the day um, and a lot of landlords were trying that um, the market conditions haven't been the greatest for rentals in in our specific area uh, southeast london and greenwich for the past 24 months over brexit things have stagnated quite a lot so in a normal ascending market, absolutely that could have been achieved, but the market's been a bit of a funny one. So landlords weren't able to do that. So it has hurt them. Um, landlords have had to take it on the chin. But as I've said, we've got good products in place that offer rental insurance, rental guarantees, that the reference cost then is incorporated into that. So from a landlord perspective, they're getting value. It's, it's a value-driven proposition and offering for them versus oh, there's a tenant fee band, you're now getting hit with the bill. They are 
indirectly paying for that referencing cost, mm. but at the same time, they're getting good coverage and good value in that increased cost onto them. And we're in the middle of lockdown too now at the time of recording this. Um, what was the difference for between lockdown one and lockdown two for you? Interestingly, lockdown one was actually better in terms of revenue and numbers. Um, we, again, just adopted or went back to our, our back against the war mentality such as we did when we were working out of Steve's living room um, in 2008. It, it wasn't very different to that, except we had a lot more opportunity available to us. The challenge now was trying to just manage everything because the, the volume was, was far higher. Mm-hmm. But over the initial lockdown, we saw, I think people hadn't yet understood what was going to happen, that the pain hadn't been felt by anyone yet. So tenants were still looking, people were moving, and everything was actually moving Decently, I would say up until September, which is traditionally a, a record-breaking month in lettings, and it has been year on year for us. And I was expecting a, a huge drop-off, but not as big as we had seen. And it, it just became a situation um, where I think the pain and the realization set in for everyone, and they 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 it then dawned on most to say, okay, hang on you know, this is actually very, very serious. Uh, people are now losing their jobs. It's not the, the Corona holiday, mm. being on furlough and drinking in the park and having fun. Um, as you know, we saw in our, in Greenwich park over the first lockdown, it was packed. People were drinking. It looked like a normal summer's day and people were getting paid to do it. Um, whereas now that sentiment is, is very different. I know it's a bit of a long winded answer, mm. but I would say this lockdown based on, the public's attitude or when I say public, you know, this well, is clients. business as usual, isn't it? It is business as usual, but just, we've got to work to deliver the same results as we did in the first lockdown. Uh, we're having to work twice as hard due to the, the reluctance individuals now have people in the beginning. I think we're happy to get out their house to do viewings. Whereas yeah. now it's, it's, uh, the, the effects of the, the, the whole situation are setting in. It takes, I guess, months for that to occur. Exactly. And, um, yeah. So it's going to be a long winter, let's just say that. Eh? Yeah. Uh, do you think the, the rise of work work from home will have an effect on where people live and what they want to live in? It, it already has. Um, <clears throat> it already has. One of our qualifying questions is, will you be working from home? Are you aware of the size of this property? It doesn't have a desk. Do you have your own? Just because these are now standard things for the vast majority of people. Um, a lot of students are now they've moved back to their parents or the original parts of the country that they're from because they're studying remotely. So why pay a high London rent when yeah. they could, you know, move to the north of the country and pay a tenth of that and still do their... You can't, their, you can't their, go out. They can't go out anyway, so they don't need to be near near friends or in near lecture theatres. Exactly. So from that point of view, of course, the student market dried up there. So there's a lot more three-bed, four-bed properties. Um, and of course, just making sure their properties are big enough and offer enough space for desks from the work or due to the working from home. Uh, of course, HMOs bills are going to go up now because people are working mm. from home. So there, there are factors that have definitely impacted it. Not, not massively, but um, it, it's a slight change. We've obviously just had to adapt like everything at the moment. And and is your, is your mindset on all of this, you know, to every problem, there's a solution, whatever you guys face in terms of a change, you're like, right, let's just, how do, that's, you know, how do we deal with it? It's the only attitude we can have, um, but yes, yes, that is that is the attitude. Um, it, it's the only way to think of it because 
you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but for every problem, there is a solution. And I firmly believe that. And <clears throat> just had to continue applying that mentality and approach to it. And yeah, you know, we'll, it's like Steve said, it's going to be a long winter, but we'll get through it. Yeah, I think just to add to that, it's, you know, we have a diversification mentality as well. And for the last three or four years, I've been focusing heavily on building the portfolio. Um, so we, we're protected, you know, so whatever happens, um, we'll be okay. We're going to be okay. It's, it's just, it's um, just another stream of revenue for you, the, the lettings business. It's not, yeah, the lettings uh, it's, and sales, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not going to get us necessarily Ferraris next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, it does bring in, you know, income and pay the bills. Yeah. And so, you know, so it allows us to work in other avenues, try different things and, and create more, more income and more wealth around the portfolio. Perfect. And, and in terms, in terms of the, the, the business, um, what I know it's probably quite difficult to predict anything right now, but where do you see that going? What have, have you kind of got plans for that in the next year or two? And, are you, are you going to carry on? Are you going to build it, grow it, expand? Are you, is is the long term plan to sell it? I think I think it's an interesting one. I think you know selling it may be an option. Um, you know we, we have been discussing all the all the avenues. It's I guess you know for me personally, it's something I was looking at selling maybe even five years ago, even before all of the the changes, because I realised that it's, it's a it's a fairly low margin business. Um, and it's quite time time intensive. So, um, but 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 we've kept it going. We've split our roles, and Bruce has been looking after it while I've been building the portfolio. So it's worked. Um, but I don't think it's I don't necessarily think it's you know going to be our future to build you know, three or ten offices and and keep running leading agencies. I think it's been like I said earlier, like a bit of an apprenticeship in business, um, a whole range of skills and. Um, knowledge has come from that to to pour into the portfolio, but from the you know the, the portfolio looks like it's 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 ticking on pretty nicely and it's it's got a lot of room for growth. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I foresee us going down that that route more, going into developments um, and, and taking uh, a few more steps up the ladder within property investing as a whole. Perfect. Well. I said I'm. I'm definitely going to uh, ask you guys to if, if you'll if you, if you want to come back. Um, definitely, definitely have you back on again to kind of discuss the portfolio because yeah, um, sounds I'm, good. I mean, uh, then I can get a chance to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm ramble. Apologies. No, no, it's been it's been great to kind of see. I was I was thinking we'll we'll be able to cram it all in, but I think it's you know there's so much to know. Obviously, you know a lot of the listeners are going to be on the other side of the table. They are going to be the property investors. So kind of understanding, obviously what goes on behind the doors of a letting agency. Sometimes it's a bit of like a, um, a, a hidden, a, a magical experience and we don't really know, but we'd, we'd quite like to know. So it's been great to have some insight on obviously how you built that and, and what goes on um, behind the doors of a letting agency. But it'd be great to kind of see how that experience and, and, and that business also funds and runs your your own portfolios as well and, and what, you've, what you've done in terms of that. So um, no, thank you very much for your time today, gents. And um, it's been it's been it's been great to hear that, and I, I look forward to speaking to you again. Brilliant, yeah, James. Well, thank you. It's Thanks, been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Okay. Thank you.